the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. It's a new week. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Thank you for tuning in. I appreciate it more than you know. Uh, This is a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering Bible questions or life questions. Whatever's on your heart or mind, I'll do the best I can. All you have to do is call us, 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585 if you're outside the local San Antonio area. You can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR, numerically at 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can send them in via our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app. Uh, Hit the call now banner on the screen and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer and you can then be hands-free. One more time, 340-9585 is our primary number. Hope you had a great weekend in church. We did yesterday. It was a really hard message here at Calvary Chapel San Antonio. It was sort of a radical call to discipleship. Jesus three times said, you cannot be my disciple uh, and then he gave us a whole bunch of really, really radical commitments to make. So uh, we finished Luke chapter 14, or we're almost done with Luke chapter 14. I'll be finishing it uh, this coming Sunday. Uh, tonight, ladies, for you, remember our Sweet Summer Devotion series uh, is uh, continuing. Misty Slagle will be uh, sharing her heart tonight. And you will be blessed. That's at 7 o'clock. Child care, of course, is provided uh, we also have our men's Bible studies and our high school age and junior high school age Bible studies as well. So you can make it a family affair and bring people here. Uh, Sweet Summer Devotions, we get lots and lots of ladies that attend. And, and as I said a moment ago, Misty will bless you, I promise you. Uh, after this, after tonight, uh, there'll be a two-week break uh, from Sweet Summer Devotions. Uh, the reason for that is Paul and I will be leaving on vacation uh, a week from... Right now, Paul and I will be in uh, San Diego at the beach, uh, where we go every year. And uh, so we'll take a two-week break in the Sweet Summer Devotions. I'll talk more about our time. Pastor Ken will be filling in for one week, and then we'll do some uh, repeat broadcasts for the second week. But um, I would ask that you would keep Paula and me in prayer. Um, we, we Every year we go, we want to hear from the Lord. We We want to rest, of course, but we want to hear from the Lord as well. So... I'd appreciate knowing that people are praying. Okay, let's get to some questions that have been sent in. Our first question comes from our email inbox from Russ. Uh, Pastor Ron, I don't really understand the meaning of verse 10 of Psalm 76. Who is that verse intended for believers or unbelievers? And then he says, thank you, Russ. Uh, A couple of things, I'm going to answer the question, but before I do, a couple of things you have to remember about um, the Psalms and, and, and uh, sort of the application of the Psalms. 
and the context of the psalms. Now, this is a psalm by Asaph um, that would, would point him out as a worshiper. A worshiper wants to worship God. Now, a Jewish understanding of salvation is completely different than our understanding of salvation. In fact, most Jews believe that just by virtue of being Jews uh, by birth, that they were um, selected by God and they were saved. That is not the case. So their understanding of an afterlife was really incomplete. Their understanding of what salvation means, they always look more toward an earthly kingdom than they did a heavenly kingdom. And that's one of the reasons Jesus met such interference when he came uh, to, to, to walk this earth. Uh, because he was letting them know that uh, this is not going to be what you think it is. Following me, he's going to say, is hard. But Russ, that was part of my Bible study yesterday. He said, you know, if you don't hate your father, mother, your sister, brothers, even your children, even up to your own life, Jesus said, you cannot be my disciple. So, again, a Jewish understanding of salvation isn't at all. So this isn't about whether this is believer or unbeliever. In fact, this psalm is about God. Let me read the verse. He said, Surely your wrath against men brings you praise, and the survivors of your wealth um, are restrained. Now let me read that out of a different um, translation, because it's a little bit of a difficult Hebrew phrase to, uh, to translate. Uh, here's what the New King James says, Surely the wrath of man shall praise you, with the remainder of wrath you shall gird yourself. Now, I actually, in this case, Russ, prefer the King James and the New King James translations of this verse. Because the idea here is even the wrath of man, even the opposition of man, will turn out for your praises. Now, one of the ways that we know that to be true is that even the wrath of Satan, who hates God, will turn out for God's praise. And, and will result in, in all things working together for the good of God and for those who love God. So uh, the, the idea is that even when man opposes, when man is in rebellion against God, the result will be praise. This is a reminder of God's sovereignty. So this is just a general warning to mankind, period. Now, Asaph is the writer of this psalm, he would have been one of those men, uh, you remember in Psalm 73, um, uh, he said, uh, surely God is good to Israel, but as for me, my feet almost slipped when I envied the wealth or the prosperity of the wicked. And he was looking around and it sort of looked to him like the, the evil people were getting ahead. They were the ones that were being blessed. And then he had to remind himself, until I went into the sanctuary of God, until he reminded himself of who he is, and what his relationship with God was. So the idea here is that man's oppression, man's rebellion, um, man's disdain of other mankind uh, will end up for God's praises. Even if you take the NIV rendering of that, surely your wrath against men brings you pays, if that's the intended translation, Russ, then it would mean very simply that... Um, what we have here is um, a righteous God judging unholy men, and the result of that will be praise. So, Russ, good question. Thank you for that. And just remember the context, uh, especially when we get into uh, the poetic books or the wisdom books. Uh, we don't make doctrine out of those but you have to understand the Jewish mindset or the mindset of the author and or the audience to whom he is writing. Good question. Thank you very, very much. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Jesus. Um, any tips for sharing the gospel with Catholic family and friends? Um, Jesus, uh, one tip. Um, and, and I'd like to tell you that I've, I've got the answer and I've been really successful and a whole bunch of Catholics are getting converted. Um, but, but most of the time it's not true. One of the comforting things about the Catholic faith is that religion sort of insulates them. They sort of think, well, I was baptized as an infant. I go to confession. Um, um, I, I pray the rosary or the Our Father. And, 
Um, and and they, those things they think justify them before God. Uh, that's what the church teaches, by the way. So um, what I do always, Jesus, is ask them about being born again. Now, you, because of a Catholic background, um, you know what they believe. You know the emptiness that Catholics are experiencing in their day-to-day walk with Lord because there is no relationship built on uh, religion or ritual. So you know the emptiness. You can talk to them about that, about what you went through and about how the Word of God was opened up to you when you asked Jesus into your heart. Um, but one of the things that I find when I ask people if they're born again, they'll say something like, no, I was born Catholic, I'm going to die Catholic. And my response is, well, you know, Jesus said that himself. And a lot of um, Catholics don't know because they're not in the Word. They don't know Jesus said that. And then I tell them, I find it interesting that he said it to the most religious men in Israel. Now, I know you're a Catholic, you're a religious person. However, it was to a religious person, Nicodemus, that Jesus said twice, you shouldn't be surprised that I say you must be born again to inherit the kingdom of God. John chapter 3. And if that doesn't sort of pique their interest, then I don't know where you go for that. Just say, well, you know, give me something to think about. Jesus said you have to be born again, and that means you've got to die to yourself and live for him. That's what it means. You've got to die to you, you've got to say no to you and say yes to him. Give him control of your life. Instead of you trying to justify yourself with religious ritual, you've got to die to yourself. Say no to you, let Jesus have his way in your heart. That's what it means to be born again. And then just leave it in the Lord's hands. Pray for them and let the Holy Spirit use what you're sharing with them um, in order to sort of convince them. And what we've seen happen here, Jesus, over our 24 years here, is we'll get one Catholic in a family who'll get saved. um, And then um, usually it's the people closest to him, one or two will get saved. And then it's like dominoes. The, The rest of the family falls down. There's always the the Catholic mother, you know, who's in the background praying the rosary for, for the one who's departed the faith. Uh, but, but we've seen entire families convert to Christianity when they discovered the glory of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, Catholics are uh, a fruitful ground for ministry. And by that I mean they have the same Jesus. It's not like talking to a Mormon or Jehovah's Witness. Uh, They've got the same Jesus, the same Father, the same Holy Spirit. So they know these things. All we have to do is sort of redirect them. The other thing that we can do, Jesus, and this is more experience just than watching you than than a tip for sharing, but let them see your joy. Let them see that Jesus is real to you. I once did a, uh, actually it was my son's, one of my son's marriage. And a kid that literally grew up in my house, grew up in a Catholic home, uh, he's European, uh, grew up in a Catholic home, and at the end of the message, he came up to me, not not just the message, but after spending the weekend with us uh, at the wedding, he said, uh, Mr. Arbaugh, uh, I know about God, but I can tell you know him. What's the key to really knowing God? And I was able to share this with him. Now, he didn't get saved, but sometimes... They do, and with your heart, illusion. Uh, oh, Jesus, I hope that helps. I hope that makes sense. Here's a question from Shady. That's interesting, Shady. Uh, I have a friend who is really into the hyper-grace movement. What are the problems with it? Shady, the problems are many, many, many problems. One, uh, it's it's not biblical. Um the hyper-grace movement, so those of you who don't understand, those that say grace sort of covers everything. It doesn't matter what you do. And I've had people come to me when I share, talk, or teach on grace, um, God's favor to the infinite, undeserved favor to the infinitely ill-deserving. And so somebody says, well, if, if it's grace, 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 and grace covers my sins, and God knows I'm going to sin, then I can go ahead and sin. And of course, that contradicts what Paul writes to the church at Rome. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning 
Paul anticipating the argument from the fleshy heart. Um, so um, the problems are so numerous, shady, that I don't have time to go into them all. But basically, it's a misunderstanding about what grace is. And one of the things that I would talk to your friend about is if under the law, people were required to do certain things, and the law condemned us, how much more are we required under grace to return to the Lord? I can tell you what Paul's answer was, and it's staggering. Romans chapter 12. Therefore, brothers, in view of God's mercy, I beg you, the King James, I beseech you, brethren, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Do not be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. So that's our response to this wonderful, wonderful gift of grace. And pretty much shady, anything hyper, I talk a lot on this program, I don't know how, many, uh, how long you've been listening, but I talk a lot about this program, or on this program, about balance. We always have to find the biblical balance, doctrinally. And when we get to one extreme or the other, and hyper certainly is an extreme, when we get to one extreme or the other, well, that's when we have lost our compass point. That's when we've sort of lost our bearings. And so the, the concept that you can sin and God understands and he's going to let you get away with it because after all, grace covers everything is to misunderstand grace. In fact, Paul talks about trampling on the grace of God for people who live like that. So Shady, I hope that answers your question. Here is a question from, oh, I'm sorry, let me get a phone call waiting. Let me take that first. Uh, let's go to Ray calling from San Antonio on line one. Ray, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hello, Pastor Ron. Uh, probably you didn't realize it was this one because you've got so many rays. <laughs> Maybe I should well, and you, and, Ray. And Ray, you always know. you you always call late in the program, so I'm yeah, surprised so and pleased. It must be my alter ego. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, What's up? I was wondering because. Uh, I don't know. Uh, we we had gone through a severe power outage last night, and uh, at any rate, sweating in my house. <laughs> uh, it didn't come to me. I was just very uncomfortable. But uh, here's here's something that I was preparing to uh, try and be. understood where, where what I was trying to get through was uh, as as uh, well you know uh, we many of your listeners know Paula prayed for you for 13 years and suffered uh, immensely <laughs> uh, at, at, at uh, not not the point um, but uh, and I wrote this down, and I don't have my glasses, so I can read what I wrote. <laughs> I, I feel your pain, right? rambling along. But uh, uh, being the one that you were, successful business owner, horse, racehorse, uh, you know, uh, quite well-to-do, I guess. Uh, you know, didn't know you then. Um Probably wouldn't have wanted to, but uh, <laughs> uh, uh, um, uh, what was your your motive? Uh, I, I know I know you've mentioned that. Well, you finally ran away. Was was basically was it fear or? You know that you were going to be killed by people that you had <laughs> messed around, and and you know uh, I've I've had friends that did nefarious things with you know criminal types, and they I know what they mean, <laughs> um, but uh, what what do what has what has 
improved your uh, main uh, impetus to uh, pursue all this Jesus as far as, uh, was it more fear or love of Paula or, you know, I, I don't know how to phrase it actually very well, but, uh, I, I think I know where you're going. Right, so I, I can... or fear, you know, yeah. so I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to just see if you can help me out with that one, because I know a lot of listeners, uh, know quite a bit of your history, but this might help. Thank you, Ray. I'm going to listen on the radio. Okay, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Uh, you know, Ray, I, I, you know, I wish I could say it was fear. I wish I could say it was love for Paula. Um, but, but the, the thing that really, really grabbed my heart was shame. I was so ashamed of myself. Now it's it's a funny thing because the things that I was doing, uh, the the terrible way that I treated Paula, the horrible dad that I was to my kids. Um, you know, I could provide for them. Yeah, we were very successful. Um, but um, it was shame. Um, when things got to the point where I knew I was going to get caught, I was going to be exposed. Uh, I thought about sitting down with Paula and the boys and confessing what I'd done. And I just couldn't do it. I had too much pride. And and for me, the, the coward's way out was just to run away. And that's what I intended to do. Um, I, I didn't know, of course, that this was going to be the day that I was going to meet Jesus. This is February of 1991. Um, it, it wasn't fear of dying. It wasn't fear. I, I always figured that I could outsmart other people. That's part of the problem I had with pride. I, I figured that I could disappear. And then, you know... Um, I pictured that moment where I would sit down and tell my kids that their dad was a fake. Or I'd sit down and tell Paula all the things that she suspected were going on but didn't really know were true. And I just didn't know how I could ever cover that up. You know, um, um, I I think about Tiger Woods, Ray. Um, You know, Tiger Woods was invincible. Um, the best golfer that's ever walked the golf course. I know Jack Nicholas has uh, more majors, but but nobody played like Tiger, and nobody had um, the, the success. No other golfer was ever feared by others as much as he was. But when his sin was exposed, that veneer of invincibility went away, and he just crashed and burned. Now, for me, um, that was exactly the same thing. Um, uh, it, it mattered to me what people thought, even if it was a lie. It mattered to me a great deal what people thought, and especially Paul and especially my sons. And so uh, I was just going to run away. That was that was my answer. I was going to take the coward's way out. Now, uh, for those of you who don't know the story, I only got a block and a half away from my home and literally fell on my face on a public street in Upland, California, and called out for Paul as Jesus. I'd never been to church. I mean, my grandma dragged me a couple of times, but uh, I wasn't a church person. I didn't grow up in any religious uh, home or tradition. So I was a blank piece of paper. I knew nothing. And the only thing I knew about this Jesus that Paul had been sharing with me over the years was that he was real. And I knew he was real because I tried so hard to, to destroy Paula's life. I tried so hard to take her joy away. I was actually jealous of Jesus. Can you imagine? And trying to take her joy away, I couldn't do it. So I knew the Jesus she worshipped was real. And that day, God had an appointment for me. It's sort of like I was walking away, and he tripped me, and I just cried out, Paulus, Jesus, if you're real, I need you. And um, at that moment, everything in my life changed. Everything in my life changed in an instant. Now, I still had pride issues. I still was a fleshy sinner. Um, But I knew that I was going to heaven. I knew that I would never work for anybody but him again. That he was the focus 
of my life from that point forward. I just knew it. And it was all based on his authority. If he had the authority to forgive me of my sins, as horrible as I'd been, then he had the authority over my life. And from that moment forward, I knew I never had a choice. It wasn't a matter of, well, if I want to follow him, I knew I had no choice. And that's what it means, Ray, to be born again. And so when people say, well, what do you mean born again? I could just tell them, I, I, I walked out of my house one day, a, a jerk on my way to hell, and, 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 and moments later, I was a completely new person. That's what it means to be born again. And so for me, it was just shame. It was shame. I, I'm the guy that had everything and blew it all. I mean, I'm the last guy in the world that could brag about any value that I brought to the kingdom of God. I knew that I had been rescued by God himself. So that's, I hope, um, the answer to your question. Right? Thank you for calling. We've got 30 minutes left in the Monday program. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. You're listening to the Word to Stand On for Life. We'll be back in two minutes. to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the show, 340-9585. Here is the question from Joseph that I started with before Ray's call. Uh, Pastor Ron, if Jesus is God, why did he say authority has been given to him? If he's God, wouldn't he already have Authority. Uh, Joseph, the answer to your question comes from Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5, where Paul says that our attitude, our mind, should be the same as Christ Jesus, who, though being equal to God, considered equality of God not something to be grasped. Now, here's the, the idea, Joseph. In his incarnation, Jesus became a man. On this earth, he walked only as a man. He didn't pull out the God card. He didn't do miracles for himself. Uh, He didn't spare himself because he was God from pain and suffering. Um, He knew that he was the way, the truth, and the life. And the authority that was given to him is the way, the truth, and the life. The authority to lead people like us to heaven, Joseph, was given to him by his father. Of course he he is God, always was. And of course he had all authority, but... He veiled that authority on earth so that he could sympathize with us. We have a high priest, a man who understands our weaknesses. He was like us in every way, yet without sin. And so he, he, he was God, full authority of God. He said he had 12 legions of angels that he could call down from heaven if he wanted to, um, to, to escape the cross. Um, but he chose not to, Joseph. And he walked through this earth the same way you and I are to walk through this earth um, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember, it is baptism. The Spirit descended on him in the form of a dove, given the Spirit without measure because he was also without sin. And everything he did on this earth, he did in obedience to his Father in heaven. Jesus said he never did anything unless he saw his Father do it. He never said anything unless he heard his father say it. Jesus, one of the most amazing things to me, and and this is a a difficult concept for us to consider, but I'm enthralled by the fact that Jesus never had an independent thought. Every thought, every word, every deed, every action was precipitated by the will of his father. He had no personal agenda, means he didn't give his opinion. It means everything he did and everything he said was motivated by a father. So the authority that he was speaking about is the authority to judge, the authority to grant grace. All authority in heaven has been given to me by my father. So that's why he did it. Thank you, Joseph. Here is a question from AJ. 
is being drunk in the spirit correct? And what about being slain in the spirit? Um, AJ, a couple of things. Evidently, you're going to uh, some um, really, really bad, unhealthy, imbalanced churches. So um, both of those things are not biblically correct. There is um, no sense of uh, these kind of things happening in our scriptures. Uh, so the answer is no, neither of those things are good to practice. Uh, in fact, they are borderline um, offensive to God. Um, and when you go into churches out of control like that, then what you've done is you've lost touch with Jesus. You're not being led by the Holy Spirit. That's the unholy spirit. So being drunk in the spirit. Can you imagine? I know Paul writes, be not filled with wine, but be ye continually being filled by the spirit. That doesn't mean to be drunk because one of the fruits of the spirit from Galatians chapter 5, AJ, is self-control. So how can we be drunk out of control if the Holy Spirit, whose fruit among them is self-control, is in charge? The same thing is true about being slain in the Spirit. My goodness, how can we be slain in the Spirit out of control when self-control is one of those things? Now, I know there are a lot of terrible churches out there that practice these horrible things, and a lot of damage has been done. I mean, it gives the impression, A.J., that people are are being filled with the Spirit, or having experience with God, when in fact that's not the case at all. Let me tell you a very quick story, and then I'll move on to the next question. Uh, when I was first saved, um, I was going to a lot of churches. A couple of them were really goofy churches, these prosperity churches. Uh, and in, in one particular case, now again, this is in my first year of being a Christian. I was still sort of trying to find out what being a Christian was. And I went to a Benny Hinn crusade in Anaheim at the Anaheim Convention Center. Um, 30,000 people inside. Uh, and Benny Hinn was, you know, throwing his coat at people and they were falling over. And at one point he got so carried away, he said, you know, I'm going to just let everybody in this stadium be touched by the Holy Spirit. And section by section, he started like throwing his hand out. And you'd see whole sections of the stadium falling down in their seats. And so as it was coming around to me, sort of like a wave in reverse, you know how we do at baseball stadiums if we do a wave? Well, this is like a wave in reverse, people standing up and falling down. And when I saw them coming to me, I said, I said, you know, I'm not going to fall down. I, I want to see if this is real. And when it got around to me, I didn't fall down, but it almost knocked me down. So the power was real. What I had to learn is it wasn't the power of God. It was the power of the deceiver, the counterfeit power. And so I know it was real, and I know what those people were experiencing. But see, that's why knowing your Bible, AJ, is so important. You know your Bible, you can't get caught in those kind of things. So stay away from those churches, find a church with an open Bible, and AJ, let them really bless you with the true living Word of God. Here is a question from Anthony. Can someone reject the idea that Jesus is God and still be saved? Anthony, our New Testament tells us that only God can forgive sins. So the answer is unequivocally no. Now that's one of the reasons that Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, and some other cults can't offer anything but false hope to people. Because their Jesus isn't God. Not the creator. Their Jesus is a created being. But I want to be really clear here, Anthony, if in order to be saved, you have to have the right Jesus. You can't just say, um, you know, well, my, I believe in a Jesus who, or my Jesus this, or my Jesus that. There's only one Jesus and we have to come to him, Anthony, on his terms. And the most important of all of the essentials of our faith is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, who is also God the Son. 
Mormons and JWs will both say that he's the son of God. But when you ask him, is he God the son? Well, no, he was a created being. And that's a Jesus that doesn't save. So it is impossible to reject the idea that Jesus is God and so be saved. Now, I know a lot of people who do, and they claim to be saved, Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses among them. The problem is that they're being deceived. They're being deceived. You know, that heresy started early in the first century church. A little different back then in John's whole first epistle is written dealing with the, uh, the heresy of Gnosticism. And in the first century, everybody knew that Jesus was God. There was no doubt, but they denied that he was a man. That's why he says the spirit of the Antichrist, if anyone says that Jesus didn't come in the form of a man, well, that's the heresy. Well, 2,000 years later, and here we are, and it's just the other way around. Now, people deny that Jesus is God. Nobody doubts that he was a real historical figure. There's more evidence for the historicity of Jesus Christ than, than, than we have for William Shakespeare. However, now we deny he's God. Well, my God, and we sort of try to make God in our image instead of understanding it, we are the ones who have been made in his image. So, Anthony, you cannot reject that Jesus is God and, and still be saved. You don't have a Jesus sufficient to save. The name J-E-S-U-S, the letters, have no power in and of themselves to save. You have to have the right God. That means we affirm a God who is one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. We have to affirm that Jesus is the only way to heaven because he alone was both God and man. That's why we have to affirm essential of the virgin birth. Jesus wasn't born of a virgin. If a man was his father, a human, then we have a God who's incapable of saving. That's why doctrine matters so much, Anthony. Hope that helps. 340-9585. Phones are quiet today, but we'd love to have your calls. Here's a question from Stephen. He says, is God okay with people being transgender? Uh, Stephen, the answer is no. God made us male and female. Now, I want to be clear about something. God only made two people by his own hand. Adam he made from nothing, out of the dust of the earth. Eve he made out of the side of Adam. But everybody else who's ever been born has been born by the process God gave us to be fruitful and multiply. And when sin entered the world, um, things got really goofy. You know, Stephen, it's an amazing thing. The question you ask is so simple. But I want you to think back. I don't know how old you are, but I want you to think back just 10 years. And while there were people who claimed to be transgender 10 years ago, it was the weirdest thing in the world. It was like, oh, come on. That's, I could never really truly understand why the, the, the gays and lesbians uh, sort of you know, hooked their wagon along with those who considered themselves transgender. I, I used to think, well, that's silly because that defeats their purpose. You know, that's not a, a, a strong alliance for them. How wrong I was, I, I underestimated the power of the devil to deceive. Now, here's the reason why God's not okay with people being transgender. If, if you are a biological male, and you think you're now a female, and the world tells you it's okay to be a female, why are you still so miserable? Why are you so empty? Why do you need so much affirmation? You know, I knew girls that we used to call tomboys when I grew up. And there were boys that appeared effeminate. And we had names for them. I'm not advocating that we go back to calling people names. 
But you see, it was based on the obvious truth that man was a man and the girl was a girl. And now what we've got is all this confusion and it's destroying a generation of kids. We're raising them with false hope, which I often say is worse than no hope at all. And when we claim that, well, I'm a mistake, that I'm a, I'm a physical male, but I'm a girl trapped in that body. We're rebelling against the plan of God. Instead of being made in His image, we're denying the very God who created us. So Stephen, he's not okay with people being transgender. Let me add, add one other thing. As a pastor, and we've got kids, of course, in our church who are struggling with all these things. These, this the world that we live in. They're connected to this, uh, to the internet, this age of information that we have. And, and the man or the woman that spends more time consulting the world for advice than they do the Word of God for advice is going to be won over. And we're condemning these kids, whether it's transgender or, or, or homosexuality, we're condemning these kids to a life that can't possibly satisfy. There was an article in the news today. I only glanced at the headline and, and just glanced through the article because I was in a hurry. Uh, but there was a deputy sheriff, the first openly gay uh, deputy sheriff, I don't even remember right now the city, but it was a, he was a, a speaker at the Gay Pride uh, Parade in Washington, D.C. Um, and, and shortly after that, he killed himself. And, you know, people are calling him. This is, man was such a, a, a champion for gay rights. He was, he was somebody that would talk to you and cared for you. And, and they are saying so many nice things about him. He had it all together, some said. But he took his own life. And that's what we're sentencing young people to now by telling them this stuff is okay. So Stephen, accept, and you're not saying this question is for you or about you, but in case it is, accept who you are physically and give that person to God. And your life will be filled with hope, real hope. There's no hope, there's no future in denying what is clearly biologically true. Isn't it interesting how we talk about climate change or we talk about evolution and, and the, the, the people who are in opposition to Christianity will say things like, well, well, see those Christians, they deny science, proven science. And of course, our response is, well, you know, it's not really proven science at all. In fact, I call it science fiction. But when it comes to something that is demonstrably true, biologically, provably true, what is our chromosome makeup? What do our body parts look like? And suddenly we've taken that provable truth and twisted it to a place where we all know we can be what we want. So be careful, Stephen. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Joe. He says, Pastor Ron, what are your feelings about using electronic Bibles instead of paper Bibles, especially in church? Um, Joe, I, you know, I, I, I like paper Bibles. Now, I'm, I'm visually impaired. I can't read like I used to read. But there's nothing, nothing, nothing like turning pages. Um. It's sort of like a, a supernatural turbo boost. Just turning the pages of your Bible as you're reading as the Lord is speaking to your heart. So I am in favor of paper Bibles. However, I'm not going to change the world that we live in. There's no point in trying. And it's easier to come to church with a pad or, or a, a, a phone than it is to carry a Bible. Especially when you get to be my age, you need such big print. And and so we're not going to change the world. So as long as they're reading the Word of God, 
I really don't care. Now, electronic Bibles can be a pain in the neck in church because they make noises that we hit the wrong buttons. Um, but, but Joe, I just want people to, to have their Bible. So whatever people are reading, it's okay. And I think the church that, that tries to take a stand on, no, we only want paper Bibles in church. I, I think they're going to isolate a, a, a generation of people that have grown up with electronics. So I, um, my personal preference is a paper Bible, but um, I certainly um, am happy for anybody to bring a Bible of any kind. When we teach the Bible here, we want people to go along and read along with us. And I um, greet the, the audience. I say, uh, our study today is, I explain the verses, I say, would you read along with me, please? And then I go right back to that verse-by-verse study, and I want people to be able to follow me and put the context in, and that's just a whole lot easier with a paper Bible. There's also some times uh, when I um, I want people to highlight things or, or make notes, and I'll tell them, do, you can't do that on your tablet or on your telephone. But uh, again, we're not going to change the world. Hope that answers your question. Monica says, what does it mean that Jesus was a man of sorrows in Isaiah 53? Uh, 53. Uh, Monica, he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And that's a description. And of course, that was a prophetic vision of Jesus. Um, He would walk this earth with a broken heart. It's hard for us to imagine how broken his heart was all the time. Now, we love people and they break our hearts when they make wrong choices. Imagine if our love for them was as pure as Jesus' was. Whenever he had to pronounce woes on the religious leaders of Israel, or every time that he spoke to them harshly, you know, calling them snakes and vipers and whitewashed tombs, I think about every time he looked into Judas's eye, how brokenhearted he would be. We know he wept at the tomb of Lazarus. We know that he wept as he looked out over the city of Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if you knew, if you only knew that I'd come to gather you as a mother, him gathers her chicks, but you would not listen. And his heart was broken. Now, the reason it's important to us in terms of this Isaiah 53, Messianic Prophecy, Monica, is that we have broken hearts. He gets us. He knows what we're feeling. He understands our pain. And because he lives in us, in the person of the Holy Spirit, he's always with us when we're filled with sorrow or grief. So Jesus gets it. And that's what it means. Four minutes, okay. Here is a question. Well, this will take the rest of the time. Anonymous question. Uh, Pastor Ron, if a wife was raped by a family member growing up repeatedly, in parentheses, and because she was, uh, because she, because she was raped, she doesn't feel safe having sex even with her husband, how should the husband respond? My heart goes out. Um, to your wife, or if you're if you're calling about a friend, I don't know, but um, you know, personally now in this time and space dimension, the best thing about Jesus coming and dying for our sins is that we've been set free. I'm going to talk about that a great deal uh, Friday night in our Hebrew study. We've been set free from our past. It doesn't mean that our past hasn't shaped us or formed us. But it means we don't have to let our past hinder us from getting close to Jesus, not for one more minute of one more day. Now, I understand, I think, the psychology of not feeling safe in a sexual relationship, even with her husband, because of her trauma, the trauma associated. But, but see, that's the thing. If anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old is gone. And the new has come. And, and as harsh as this may sound, Paul writes, and this is your scripture, that a woman's wife does not belong to her, it belongs to her husband, and the husband's body does not belong to him, it belongs to his wife. 
really means we don't have the right to withhold sex from our spouse. We don't have the right. This idea that this is my body, the Bible says otherwise. It says we're not our own. We're bought with a price. This body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So I understand the psychology and I understand the trauma of her past. However, and this is the most important thing that I'm going to say to you, Jesus, if you really understand what he's done for you, has freed you from all of that. And nobody gets a pass from what the Bible is clear about. The wife's body does not belong to her. It belongs to the husband. And we are to fulfill our marital duty. Now, that makes it sound like it's a chore. It's not supposed to be. But we're ministers. Rather than being ministered to, we're ministers. And Jesus will get you through this, get your wife through this. But only with obedience. And there's simply no right to withhold sex because of what's happened to you in the past. There's no right to withhold sex because your husband or your wife isn't who or what you thought they would be. You see, here's a place where our faith really gets tested. Do we really believe in the promises of God or not? That's the question we have to decide for ourselves. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. You've been listening to the program. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Remember, ladies, sweet summer devotions tonight. Pray for Misty Slagle. She'll be sharing at 7 o'clock. Hope to see you then. I hope to see you tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630. The Word. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.